At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. When we think about being on mission for Christ, it's actually the subject of all of our sermons this year. As we've been talking about uh, the mission that Christ has prepared us for, the mission that he has briefed us on, uh, the, the mission that he is inviting us to endure on throughout the days of our lives. We've seen this in our study of 2 Corinthians. And last week, we began a series on a specific section of 2 Corinthians that is going to focus on our opportunities to participate in serving the Lord with our finances. And we are seeing this in chapters 8 and 9. Today, we're going to be in part two of this series, looking at verses 8 through 15 of 2 Corinthians 8. Before we look at those verses together, I just want to ask you all a question, and that is this. Do you ever have good intentions for something, but you don't follow through on the action? Does that ever happen to anybody, or is it just me? Good intentions without the follow-through. Think about this with, with our healthy eating plans. Oftentimes we say, I'm going to eat healthy. We make that determination. We have that good intention. And then we see the Twinkies, right? And it's challenging, the intention to the follow-through. Or we think about it with exercise. We say, I'm going to exercise. And then we hit the snooze bar. Our intentions do not always match our actions. And this is true not just in those areas of our lives. It's also true sometimes in the spiritual areas of our lives, including in our generosity. Sometimes our emotions are moved. We want to participate. We want to give. But then something happens between when the Spirit moves in our emotions and our actions that we don't actually give. Now, since this is week two of this series, uh, you all have come back for this. And so I, I assume, and I know that the Spirit of God is working in your hearts and lives, and so there is a desire to give. But let's be honest, sometimes there is a desire to give and something gets in the way so that we never actually do it. Well, today we're going to see the Apostle Paul provide for us some direction on this topic. Because this struggle to follow through on our good intentions financially is not new to us in the 21st century, but it's something that actually goes all the way back. And 2,000 years ago, the Corinthians were dealing with this too. And so Paul writes in this letter, and in this section, he's going to deal with how they can overcome this gap between their intentions and their investments. So this morning, we're going to look at this in chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn to these verses. I want to read them for us, and then I'm going to back up and make three observations before we celebrate the Lord's table together today. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give you my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. 
For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, what we're going to see here in these verses is three things that will help connect these truths to our lives today. So what are they? The first thing I want us to see is this. I want us to give like the giver. I want us to give like the giver. Now, last week, we began our message, you might remember, and talked about how we are challenged to give like the Macedonians. But here, we see Paul expanding the examples to give beyond just give like the Macedonians, but actually to give like the giver. Now, we see this as we look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. What Paul is saying here is he says the example of the Macedonians, the love of others is supposed to spur them on. It's supposed to be an example to them so that they also might give generously. You might remember that Paul was taking up a collection among the churches in Macedonia and the churches in Achaia, including Corinth and Galatia and other places, in order to deliver to the saints who were being persecuted and who were struggling in the midst of a famine in Jerusalem. So there was this offering that was being collected, and the Macedonians were giving, even in the midst of their difficulty, they were giving sacrificially. And Paul holds them up as an example to the Corinthians. Uh, We see this example referenced as we saw last week in verse 1 when he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Macedonia, again, referring to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Those churches had given generously even in the midst of their poverty. And so Paul holds them up as an example to challenge and to inspire the Corinthian church. But it's interesting. Paul doesn't here just say, use the Macedonians as an example, but he actually goes back one deeper, and he mentions the example of Jesus. We see this in verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If the Macedonians were an example, then Jesus still more. Now, You might think of the logic of what Paul is doing here as something maybe in a contemporary example to help you understand it. Um, In 1992, Whitney Houston released a song, I Will Always Love You. And, And there were people who heard Whitney Houston sing that song in 1992, me included, that thought, wow, Whitney Houston has written and recorded an amazing song. But there were people who lived at that time who were a little more wise when it came to music history and understood that Whitney Houston was not the first to write that song. That song came from where? Dolly, y'all know, that song came from Dolly Parton all the way back in 1974. And so this beautiful, amazing song actually had been written long before by someone else. Now, what does that have to do with this passage? Well, what Paul is doing is something like this. He's saying, you know the generosity of the Macedonians? You hear that tune. Guess what? 
they weren't the first to write it. They actually are just recording again anew in their own time and place a song of generosity that was first written and lived by Jesus Christ. So their example was not just the Macedonians, but ultimately their example in generosity was Jesus himself. Now, Jesus as an example of generosity is something for us to explore. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace means gift, something that is not earned, but is just extended and given to us. Jesus has given us something amazing. What has Jesus given to us? Well, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus came to die on the cross to take the penalty that our sins deserve so that we might, by his grace, be reconciled to God. Amen? This is what Jesus has done for us. And along the way, he, he demonstrates who God is because he's God in the flesh. And so we see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift, if you will, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues, that though he was rich, how rich was he? He's the son of God, friends. Where did he exist eternally? In heaven, in the very throne room of God. The splendid picture there. To, to what does Jesus hold the title? He holds the title to the entire earth. It was created through his agency. Friends, Jesus had it all. Yet though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Now, what does that mean? That means that Jesus came to this earth. He took on humanity. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in a very average family, ultimately living out his life in a public ministry that included miracles to authenticate his divinity and he eventually dies on the cross for our sins. Friends, Jesus, who was rich, became poor and took on flesh for us so that by his poverty, by his death, we might become rich. How do we have access to the throne room of God? How do we have access to be with God forever in the kingdom that he will establish upon the earth? It's by his grace. It's by his gift. Because he who was rich became poor for us so that we might be rich in him. To say this another way, David Lowry says, from the splendor of heaven, Christ came to the squalor of earth. Now, friends, I'm not here denigrating this earth that God created for his good purpose. But I'm saying in comparison to heaven, this place doesn't even hold a candle, friends. To the splendor of heaven and the, the splendor of the kingdom and the new heaven and the new earth that he will ultimately create. Jesus left the riches of heaven in order to come for us. This is what is talked about in Philippians chapter 2 when it says of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when we think of 
generosity and examples that should inspire us towards generosity and giving. We might think of others, we might think of the Macedonians, but ultimately that ought to point us right back to Jesus, the supreme example of grace giving and generosity, who has given it all, paid it all for us. Now, how do we connect this and respond in our own lives? Well, a few thoughts. First thought is this, we need to recognize where true wealth comes from. We need to recognize where true wealth comes from. What do we need the most? We need forgiveness. We need relationship. We need hope. We need someone who has conquered death. We, we need to be rightly related to the God who we will be accountable to one day. All of those things and more are what God has provided us in Christ. If you're here today and you're missing those things, know that that is what Jesus is offering you. He loves you. He has pursued you. He has come for you, and now he is asking you to follow him. Friends, it begins with us remembering and recognizing where true wealth comes from. Whatever physical, material resources God has entrusted to us, they are small in comparison to the true riches of eternity that he has blessed us with. We find those things in him. And when we realize that he has given us those things, it ought to begin to stir us, both through his example of how he provided it, as well as in gratitude that we might be moved by Christ's example. Jesus came and and, and died for us, and that is a pattern, a picture, for how those of us who are following him should live in relation to one another. It is how we should respond by worshiping him, even with the material things that he has entrusted to us. Friends, are we moved by the example of Christ? Are we moved to generosity and graciousness towards others because of what Jesus has done for us? We see that challenge in these verses. But a third thing I think it's important for us to see is that giving is for us. Giving is for us. You know, in chapter 8, he provides two examples of giving. The first example was the Macedonians. The second example he gives is the example of Jesus Christ. The Macedonians were extremely poor, and yet they gave sacrificially, and they're held up as an example as a result. Jesus, was he extremely poor? No, he was infinitely rich, and yet he gave as well. And so, We see reminders here that Tom Constable points out. He says, the Macedonians gave when they were very poor, but Christ gave when he was immensely rich. The Corinthians fitted between these two extremes. And I might add, we fit between those two extremes as well. These two examples leave no question that giving is a grace that both the rich and the poor should manifest. And so, friends, based on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, those of us who are connected to him, a part of our response to him is to be generous with the resources that he has entrusted to us. Whether we would consider ourselves rich or poor makes no difference. At a heart level, we have to long to worship him with the resources in our hands. And so, we're reminded that we are to give like the giver. There's a second thing that's important for us to see. And that second point is this. We need to plan to act on our desire to give. We need to plan to act on our desire to give. 
It's interesting that Paul was talking about this offering that he was collecting among these churches to take to the persecuted church in Jerusalem. He was talking about it when he was in Macedonia. He was talking about it when he was in Galatia. And he was talking about it when he was in Corinth. About a year before Paul writes the letter of 2 Corinthians, he wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he talks about this gift when he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul says, I've shared with you the opportunity. You responded and said you were interested in that opportunity. And I'm going to come back later to collect whatever offering you have gathered. And you will send some from your group with me and we will go and we will deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem. That's what he says. Well, verse 6 of chapter 8, give us an update on this plan. It says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, they had a good beginning. They had a good desire. They maybe had a good initial step, but he was encouraging Titus to go ahead and help them complete it. And so if this is how it started, how was it going? Well, we find out how it was going in verses 10 and 11 said, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. They had a desire to give, and yet they were failing to follow through on that desire. And Paul encourages them to keep going. Now, before we're too hard on the believers in Corinth, let me just ask, is this something that you ever struggle with? Again, when I think about my own life, there are are times when I'll get a letter. Somebody is going on a mission trip, and I'm encouraged by where they're headed. I'm encouraged by their ministry. I'm excited about it. And we look at that letter, and then it's possible that sometimes that letter that we have a desire to give towards gets added to a stack of paper. And then six months later, we look at that stack and we go, I wonder what's in that stack. And we look through and we see the trip that happened three months earlier. Just being honest with you, at times that happens in our lives. Has that ever happened with you? Has it ever happened that your desire to do something is not turning into an action? Well, friends, this is apparently what was happening with the Corinthians. And so the Apostle Paul writes and gives them some encouragement on how they might close that gap, on how their good intentions might lead to some generous investments. So what does he do? What does he say? Well, he tells them back in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he tells them this. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What what Paul was saying was, he says, if you have this desire, go ahead and get started. Go ahead and and break down whatever commitment you have and and each week begin to set aside some money towards this purpose. Now, why is this so important? Well, it's important because our money goes someplace, doesn't it? If we don't begin to take action on where we want our money to go, ultimately it will go someplace else else, right? 
If you have a desire to spend money on one thing and you don't spend it on it, you look up and three months later, six months later, nine months later, the money is gone. You've spent it on something else. Again, this is not a modern problem. This is something that people have dealt with from the beginning. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, if you have this desire, begin to give in a weekly, or we might even put it in our world the way that compensation comes, in a monthly way. Well, we're setting aside as the Lord provides a little bit towards that purpose so that both the desire to give leads to the action of giving. And this is something that we see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where he says of the work of the Spirit, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, the Holy Spirit that God sends inside of us doesn't just move our emotions. He certainly moves our emotions, but he also can move us to actually act and do things. And what Paul is saying is he says, because the Spirit resides inside of you, Corinthians. And I would say, because the Spirit lives inside of you, Wildwood, and I would say to myself, because the Spirit lives inside of me, Mark, that I can have a belief that God can both stir my emotions to act and provide the opportunity to act. The Spirit leads in both activities. So what can this look like for us? Well, it involves us making a plan to give making a plan to give. Just as the Corinthians were instructed to have a plan, so we also must have a plan. So how do we go about making that plan? Well, the first step of that process, I believe, is to pray about giving. To pray, Lord, what would you have us give? What would you have us give sacrificially? And even if you have offered that prayer at some point in the past, maybe go back and get fresh with the Lord in this area and say, Lord, in this current moment in time, with the resources you have entrusted to me, what would you have me to give in this time, in this season of my life? If you're married, you might do that together with a family, gather around what would giving look like. Go before the Lord and ask him. Second thing, then once you have that amount, think about how you might give it. One option is that you might give it all at once. I mean, it's possible that whatever the Lord is leading you to give is money that you already have so that you might be able to go ahead and offer it. But I would hazard a guess that most likely the money that you feel led to give is not money that you have altogether yet. Because, you know, oftentimes our, our income comes every two weeks or, or once a month. And God might be leading you to give something sacrificially over a period of time, like over a year or over the years ahead, but the resources aren't there yet. So you might think of what it would look like to, to give or save money to give over time. Now, to take this from an abstract to a concrete, let's put an example to this. Let's say that as you pray about this, you, you, you pray about giving and you decide that the Lord is leading you to give $5,000. Well, there's two options. One is that you could just go online right there or you could write a check and you could give $5,000 at the next opportunity. But it's also possible that that same $5,000 might be given over a year's time, $100 a week. See, in both instances, it's the amount the Lord has led you to give sacrificially to his mission, but he's, it just comes in, in different ways. And for many of us, as, the, as it was for the Corinthians, 
we might benefit from setting aside some money every week or as we're paid once a month or every two weeks in order to give towards the mission that God has called us to. You know, at Wildwood, we have on our website, uh, we have a, a section that helps us fulfill this calling as a church. When we think about giving to the ministry that God has here at Wildwood. One of the, the opportunities we have is to set up a recurring gift we have that there not just for the church's benefit, but we have that for yours because it's an application of this principle. If, if you would like to give and you'd like to give in a recurring way over an extended period of time, you can actually set that up and automate that as a part of the giving platform. See, these are ways for us to make a plan to give so that our desire to give might also lead to the action of giving. Now, it's interesting what Paul says in verse 12. He says this. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. What he's saying here is he says, The amount is not as important as being generous with whatever God has entrusted to you. In God's economy, it's not about how much we give. It's about how we have sought him and we give according to the proportion of his blessing. We, we see this in, reflected on by Warren Wiersbe when he says, God sees not the portion, but the proportion. If we could have given more and did not, God notes it. If we wanted to give more and could not, God also notes that. When we give willingly according to what we have, we are practicing Grace, giving. This is a picture of what it looks like to trust God with the resources that he has entrusted to us. And I love how Kent Hughes goes a little further with this. He says, and that is why Paul's message was not a sermon on the amount. Ah, oh, all right. Okay. And that's why Paul's message was not a sermon on the amount. Paul leaves the amount of the gift up to the Corinthians because he's convinced that the quantity of their giving will match the quality of their changed hearts, and I would also say would be in proportion to how the Lord has blessed them. See, friends, we are able to plan to follow through on the desire that God has placed within us to give. It's something that was necessary for the Corinthians, and I believe it's something it is important for us to remember as well. But there's a third point that I want us to see, a third thing that we need to look at, and that is this. Help a brother or sister out. Help a brother or sister out. And we see this in verses 13 through 15. So what do we see in those verses? Well, he says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. What, what he's saying here is, he says, it, it's not God's plan that the Corinthians become poor so that the saints in Jerusalem become rich. That's not the idea. But he goes on to say, but that is a matter of fairness. And really, that word fairness is a word for equilibrium. But as a matter of, of equilibrium, your abundance at this present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about here? What's he getting at? You know, some might look at these verses and see in them some kind of biblical rationale for socialism. But friends, a secular socialism is not what these verses are talking about. 
Because in a, a secular socialism, what happens is someone else says, I will take your money and I will evenly divide it among everyone so that everyone has the same thing. But that's not what is happening here. This is not a mandatory collection so that everyone has the same thing. Instead, what Paul is getting at here is really family talk. He's talking here to the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is talking to us. And he says there is an interconnectedness among the congregation. There's an interconnectedness among the church. And even when we extend this a little further, there's an interconnectedness among believers who are in different congregations even around the world. And the, the goal is not that everyone has the same thing, but the goal is that as the Spirit moves within our hearts, that some who have extra are able to give to some who have needs so that all the basic needs can be met. That is the general idea. That is the challenge that we see here. Now, this is something that has a number of different applications, but one that I want to highlight is just the application for us collectively as a church as it relates to these mission fund projects. You know, if you were with us last week, we talked about how uh, through the abundant offerings that God has provided through you to Wildwood over the last year, we have already set aside from that abundance a, a, an amount of money that we want to give towards some projects that are happening around the world. And our motivation for that is that there are real needs that our brothers and sisters in Christ have around the world that we want to take this, these offering dollars and send them forward so that our abundance might help meet their opportunities so that God might be glorified and their needs might be met. There are five different projects that we have identified as opportunities. One of them is an evangelism project in Brazil. One is some relief efforts in, in different parts of the world, a Bible translation project in Indonesia, church planning in Spain, or leadership training of pastors in the Middle East. In each of those instances, we have an abundance, and yet there, is, there are places in the world that have great needs. We think about Brazil. There are tribes of people in need of hearing the gospel in their own language. The Jesus film takes the gospel of Luke, puts it to film, and, and tells the story of the gospel uh, in the words of different people groups. A gift from us would help translate that into another tribal language so that the gospel might be shared more clearly there. We think about the situation of the relief efforts, Right now, around the world, there are some real challenges in places like Ukraine, where the war is, is, is tearing things apart, situations with the earthquake in Turkey, or civil wars and famines and droughts in Africa and other places. Uh, one of our partners, Samaritan's Purse, is on the front lines in those areas, help delivering relief to people in those areas and, and proclaiming Christ and making it clear so that our abundance might be connected to that opportunity for Christ to be known. We think about the situation with Bible translation. How many Bibles do we have in English? How many Bibles do you have in your house? Friends, we are surrounded with the Word of God, and yet there are places in the world where the Word of God is not in their heart language. One of those is a tribe in Indonesia, so that we might take up an offering to work with Wycliffe to help translate the Scripture into the language of a people that do not have the Word of God right now so that our abundance might help meet that need. 
you know, how many churches are there? How many evangelical churches are there even in Norman? Many, many in our community. And yet there are places in the world where there is not that same provision. One of those places is Spain, where there are entire cities of considerable size without a evangelical gospel-centered congregation. And yet there are partners that we have there who are helping to meet that need. People like David Robles who are, are there helping to train pastors and a gift going in that direction would, would help provide some startup costs for those church leaders. And, you know, we're so blessed in that so many on our staff here have had formal theological training. And, and yet there are places in the world where leaders of congregations have none. In the Middle East, we have a partner who's training pastors uh, in the truth of the gospel, and a gift will help provide and deliver that training in very creative and important ways to pastors who are out in the field. See, these are all projects where our abundance might lead to an opportunity for us to partner together with brothers and sisters in Christ around the world for the proclamation of the gospel and so that their basic needs might, might be met. So, how do we determine where these go? Well, in your bulletin, there's a little handout. Uh, you can vote by taking 100 points and dividing them among those projects. 20 each if you want. If there's one that you're really interested in, put 100 down. Again, this is from offerings that have already been collected. We just want your help in understanding where they go. And at the beginning of August, we'll come back and share the answer to that. If you voted last week, vote again. We have an opportunity to do this every week between now and the end of the month as we help see how God's abundance to us might lead to a blessing for others. And you can also do so on our website as well as find out more about each of these projects. Now, it's interesting that Paul ends this section with this quotation. It's a quotation from the book of Exodus. And he says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, why does he end with that quote? And what was the context initially for the quote? Well, this is a quote from the book of Exodus that came at the time when God provided for his people through the delivery of manna. And God had an interesting provision of this manna and that he provided it every day. But there were some who wanted to hoard the manna. But you know what happened if they hoarded the manna? The manna became gross. That's what happened. It's part of God's judgment. He didn't want them to, to hoard it, but he wanted them to share that across the people of God. And friends, Paul closes with this as a way to remind us of the, the danger and the temptation of just hoarding the resources that God has entrusted to us. Two places I want to remind us of in the rest of Scripture for those of us who have enough resources for our own needs and, and then some more. Two different passages that I think are helpful. One is when Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not the Sermon on the Amount, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, Jesus is reminding us of the fleeting nature of resources, that we might use them not just to hoard to ourselves, but to employ them in God's work. And we are reminded of this also in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, 
who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, all this together reminds us that not only do we gather resources as a church and we use them for mission, but also that all of us would have a category for maybe saving a little each month for those occasional opportunities to help bless a brother or sister in Christ who are in some kind of economic challenge. After all, we're part of a family together. We see Paul encouraged in this way in these verses. 